Nick at Night is a production of Council Communications. Finally, got it figured out. Now, I apologize to the Facebook listeners because I'm using a new, well, I'm using my daughter's laptop, and it's configured a little differently. It's a different make and model. Mine uh, died today. Uh, the poor thing couldn't take the beating anymore. So I, I thought I could just switch over and uh, take on this new one, and everything was working great until we realized there's one little hole that isn't there that should be. So we were trying to figure out a workaround. Long story short, uh, we got ro- I got robbed, but you, we all got robbed about 15 minutes. And I've got tons of stuff tonight. Uh, I even have a way to play audio clips. And as a matter of fact, what's <laughs> I don't know if you're familiar, if you like British humor or not. But there is, I'm going to start just because I need a laugh. And I think that all of us do too. There's a show out of England called Yes Minister. And if you're familiar with it, uh, by all means, uh, you'll get, you'll you'll probably have seen it. This clip only runs a few seconds long. It's not that big. It's not that, no a few seconds. It's about um, uh, about a minute thirty four or so. I just have to bring this up because I'm playing it off my cell phone because that's how technologically advanced I am. You can tell by the way things went in the last. <laughs> <laughs> in the last uh, little while. All right, so uh, just to put a smile on your face, this is um, uh, a bureaucrat explaining to the minister why Britain is has its attitude it does about Brexit. So here it is. No, it's coming, really. It's loading. Oh, brother. Well, while this load, there we are. I don't know. This is pro Europe. Yes and no. <laughs> if you'll forgive the expression. The Foreign Office is pro Europe because it is really anti Europe. The civil service was united in its desire to make sure that the common market didn't work. That's why we went into it. What are you talking about? <laughs> Minister, Britain has had the same foreign policy objective for at least the last 500 years to create a disunited Europe. In that cause, 
We have fought with the Dutch against the Spanish, with the Germans against the French, with the French and Italians against the Germans, and with the French against the Germans and Italians. Divide and rule, you see. Why should we change now? Ancient history, surely. Yes, and current policy. We had to break the whole thing up, so we had to get inside. We tried to break it up from the outside, but that wouldn't work. Now that we're inside, we can make a complete pig's breakfast of the whole thing. <laughs> Set the Germans against the French, the French against the Italians, the Italians against the Dutch. The Foreign Office is terribly pleased. It's just like old times. <laughs> Surely we're all committed to the European ideal. Really, Minister? <laughs> Not. Why are we pressing for an increase in the membership? Well, for the same reason. It's just like the United Nations, in fact. The more members it has, the more arguments it can stir up, the more futile and impotent it becomes. What appalling cynicism. Yes. We call it diplomacy, Minister. <laughs> so there you go. <laughs> if, you, if you're not familiar with that, go look it up on YouTube. There's a bunch of little clips out there that they've, they've taken the show and chopped it up, and it's into, you know, three, four-minute segments, and it's perfect for our purposes. But, you know, it's funny. When you listen to that, it really does describe modern politics almost to a T, like, you know, where it, it's exactly, um, it's exactly uh, the opposite of what you might think. And then the backwards way they have of rationalizing it just blows my mind. Now, um, i got to tell you, I was out the other night with um, a friend of mine. Uh, he's our parish priest. His name is Father Mike Goring. Really a great guy. Uh, he's a, a... What kind of an engineer is he? He has a degree in engineering. Um, mechanical? Doesn't mind. It. He's a really highly educated man. And he loves, absolutely loves to fish. So we were out on Bark Lake, um, when was that, Friday night last week? No, Monday night, Monday night. Anyway, a uh, beautiful evening. Was just The lake was absolutely flat, calm. It was a gorgeous day. We were there by about six thirty, seven o'clock in the evening, so the sun wasn't all that high. We weren't roasting. And I outfished him out of his own boat. <laughs> uh, poor guy. He had the fish finder. And um, we never did see a fish on the fish finder. Uh, he was trolling, and uh, I'm I'm not much of a trolling fisherman. I like to to cast and and you know, fish the the rubble and the you know, I just a little more active than sitting in the boat waiting for the fish to hit the lure you're dragging along behind. But anyway, we had a great time, lovely evening, and a lot of fun. Uh, now, as far as what's in the news tonight, oh, where do I start? Uh, the stuff that's online. Um, well, let me let me um, begin uh, if I can find the right tab now. See the way that what I do, and I'm telling a little trade secret here, is that um, I go out and I find a story I want, and I'll post a lot of it on my Facebook page, uh, so that you get a chance to read it before um, the show. I try to do that. Um, I try to do that so that uh, you know you get the context, uh, because I don't want. Uh, let's start with this. This is a forehead slapper. It's out of the National Post by Christy Blatchford. And, okay, you know how everybody takes offense at everything? All right, well, first of all, oh, by the way, I should give out the numbers because if I want people to call, that's important. 343-700-4390-844-562-4766. Um, so those will work pretty much anywhere. 
uh, in North America, give me a call. Um, and we've got plenty to talk about. And right now, the only way you can call in, because we just had no luck with Facebook tonight, uh, is online. So if you're listening online, and you, or if you want to, if you're um, on Facebook and you want to go over to online, by all means, do that. Um, anyway, this whole story of the National Post. Okay, now you would think that somebody has got no life at all if they're going to get they're going to get angry or feel offended. No, they're not angry. They're offended, and somehow that's different than being angry. You know, most people get angry because they are offended. So one's probably a cause and effect kind of thing. All right. So anyway, there's a license plate out of Manitoba. And it says, on the, you know how you get the license plate bracket that you get from a car dealership and so on to advertise the uh, uh, the car dealership free advertising as long as you own that car? Um, which I don't have any problem with. It's just that's what they do. So this one is a custom one. And on the top it says, we are the Borg. And on the bottom, it says, resistance is futile. And the license plate reads, assimilate, A-S-I-M-I-L-8. Okay? Now, obviously, anybody who knows anything about anything and isn't living under a rock realizes that's a Star Trek reference. We are the Borg. A resistance is futile. Okay? Anyway, so Christine Blatchford finds out uh, that there's a guy by... Uh, uh, by the name of John Carpe, and he's out in Manitoba driving around, and somebody uh, decides that they think this assimilate, um, this this idea of assimilation is somehow a personal insult towards natives, that they want the natives to assimilate. Oh, brother. So anyway, let me jump in down here. Then in April this year, Troller got a letter. Oh, I'm sorry, I got the wrong name. Who is it? Um, uh, Troller, where's your first name, Mr. Troller? Nicholas Troller, there he is. The plate in question belonged to Nicholas Troller, a Winnipeg resident and Star Trek devotee who in 2015 applied for a plate that read Assimilate in honor of the iconic, iconic movie and TV series paid the one and paid the $100 fee, proudly framing it in a, bo in a border that used the famous star, two famous Star Trek phrases, we are the Borg and resistance is futile. Okay, so let me scoot down a little bit. Uh, let's see. Then in April of this year, Troller got a letter from MPI, which is the Manitoba Public Insurance uh, Group. They're the, they have public insurance down there. Everybody has to have it. So he gets a letter from them saying his plate is considered offensive. They didn't say who found it so, why it was offensive, or if there had been any complaints. Troller was ordered to surrender the plate by 1 May, and being offered no course of appeal or recourse, had no choice, and he did. In late May, by which time Carpe and the Justice Center for Constitutional Freedoms he founded in 2010 had found him a lawyer. The lawyer wrote to the re to, for the wrote a request for the plate to be reinstated. More than a month later, a time span that suggests a considerable response, um, MPI told the lawyer that it wouldn't. So they're not going to give the guy's plate back. All right. So they now launched a court action seeking a declaration that MPI breached Troller's charter rights of freedom of expression under Section... You see how ridiculous this is getting? Now, you know that somebody complained. You know they did. Otherwise, how would the MPI even know about this plate? Anyway, that's, so it goes on and lays out the case, uh, you know, what, what charter section and all that stuff. 
As the lawyer Jay Cameron notes in his notice of application, not only is the Manitoba government required to uphold the basic freedoms, but also as of 2015, it particularly invites Manitobans to express, them, uh, express themselves via personalized plates. You know why? Because that's extra revenue for the government. That's why. All right. So anyway, uh, brother, the whole point is somebody out there and where did it go? There was a section of this. Uh, but a simile is not that. Um, all right. Obviously, somebody doesn't have a life. And they decided that this was offensive and just absolutely asinine that anyone would say, assimilate. Oh, my God. Yeah, what kind of life do you have to have or not have? If you think the word assimilate is an insult or offensive... Isn't the whole point of an inclusive society to assimilate? What's the point of inclusivity if not to assimilate? This just this stuff, I tell you, man, it's, it's, it makes me loopy. Well, there are those who'd say I'm loopy anyway, and maybe they have a point. Um, all right, now, okay, i got to ask you this question. Come back here. I hate it when the story jumps halfway down the page like that. Uh, how many of you know who, uh, where did his name go? Hengit, uh, there, I had it and I want, and I, I know it, I just want to make sure I say it right. Uh, Jagmeet Singh, how many people know who he is? Now, I know because, of course, I have the story here, and I knew before that too. But the reason why the vast majority of Canadians, uh, by the way, he's one of the candidates running for the leadership of the NDP party to replace Thomas Mulcair. Now, <laughs> there are a lot of things about the NDP, but exciting in this race is if you thought that the conservative party leadership leadership race was dull, this is ridiculous. Nobody knows who these people are. And maybe that's, well, you know, considering the way the country is going, maybe that's not a good thing. Maybe we should pay more attention to this guy because he's, he's, he's an NDP version of Trudeau, okay? There's a video clip in here that, unfortunately, I can't play for you tonight. Uh, but if you go to the Toronto Star, if you go to my webpage, you can find it and listen to it. And there's a writer for the Toronto Star who's talking about, well, you know, this guy's got a lot in common with uh, Trudeau because he's, he's young and he's handsome and he's into martial arts and... Uh, you know, all this stuff. And I'm thinking, oh, please spare me. Here we go again. Um, I've never liked the NDP. I don't like uh, I don't like the, what they stand for. I don't like for what they believe in. I think it's, uh, it's a very uh, tragic um, platform because uh, it, it just basically, it's socialism. And I have no use for that. But here's a, just a, an idea of what he would do if he ever became prime minister. God help us all. He would raise corporate taxes, like Justin Trudeau's liberals, but unlike the NDP under Mulcair, he would raise income taxes on the rich. He would institute pro-union and pro-worker labor reforms in areas under federal jurisdiction. He is in favor of more infrastructure, but critical of the liberals' new infrastructure bank. Like many federal New Democrats, he walks a delicate line on, delicate line on pipelines, praising both Alberta Premier uh, Rachel Notley, who wants a heavy oil pipeline from the tar sands to the Pacific, and British Columbia Premier John Horgan, who does not. 
In the end, however, Singh comes out against the proposed Kinder Morgan and Energy East pipeline expansions. Given their unpopularity among New Democrats in BC and Quebec, this is not as this is not a politically foolish position to take. Okay, so in other words, that guy is a hardcore socialist. He's against uh, using our own resources for our benefit. He wants to. Um, he's into wealth redistribution. Because let me ask you something. And I had this ongoing debate uh, on Facebook here last week when somebody we, we were be- beating this idea around. And I asked him. I said, "What would you do if you know? How would you solve the country's woes?" Well, the first thing I do is raise taxes on the one percent, on the wealthy. I said, well, define wealthy. Well, anybody who makes $250,000 or more. Really? Okay. So when you have taxed them either out of the country or out of existence, what then? Like what happens when there are no more rich people? Suddenly the conversation came to an end because the answer is, well, then we tax the middle class. Well, you can't tax the middle. Well, you can, of course. But the point is, it's it's a regressive kind of situation. And it's just enough to make you pull your hair out. All right, let me take my first break. And when we get back, we'll have more on the Nick at Night Show right here on <laughs> the Late Night Council Show. For 17 years, I've been taking my cars to Irwin's Automotion. 17 years ago, Irwin was renting space on the corner of Bank and Heron. His encyclopedic knowledge of all things mechanical and his no-bull honesty has resulted in his second move. He now operates a huge facility on Cleopatra, eight bays, and an expert staff that operate all in the same wavelength. Honesty, integrity, try to save the customers some money and headaches. But fix it right the first time. Irwin's Automotion, 34, Cleopatra. Tell them Council sent you. That'll make them smile. EMM Group is the authorized Integraspec distributor for the greater Ottawa area, providing technically advanced insulated concrete farms. The design virtually eliminates waste while providing the ultimate energy-efficient, quiet homes and structures. With over 40 years' experience in the concrete industry, EMM offers... EMM Group is the authorized Integraspec distributor for the Greater Ottawa Area, providing technically advanced insulated concrete farms. The design virtually eliminates waste while providing the ultimate energy-efficient, quiet homes and structures. With over 40 years' experience in the concrete industry, EMM offers the best product to homeowners and contractors. Canadian-made Integraspec is now being used worldwide. More info can be found at Integraspec.com. Don't consider building any other way. Call your ICF specialist, 613-835-2600. Oh boy, is that a politically incorrect song these days? <laughs> oh man, I re- I re- remember that. Well, I don't remember that, but I remember from my younger days. I don't think I was around when that song was recorded. Anyway, all right. Um, let's see. I have a whole bunch of other things to dive into. Uh, yeah, we can get rid of that one. Um, speaking of love and marriages. Maybe it's a good thing I did play that because there's a story in in, uh, the Toronto Sun today, uh, I believe it's today, well, within the last day or so. Oh, it is today, August 2nd. Can you believe we're into August already? You realize in the next 10, 15 days the leaves are going to start to change color if they haven't already? 
Now I'm hoping the cool wet fall, the cool wet summer, will delay that, but I don't know. Anyway, so the story is about, on one hand, you see, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm fighting two instincts here. On one hand, I think the extended family is vital to the raising of well-grounded children, aunts, uncles, grandparents, you know, that kind of stuff, siblings, parents, of course. And the article I'm referring to, uh, written by uh, Paolo, oh, good Lord, Paola Lorigio. I think I said that right, pretty close. Uh, anyway, um, she's talking about a young lady by the name Yi Yang, I believe, Y-I-J-I-A-N-G. Uh, anyway, she moved to Ottawa from China. And they ended up spending a lot of their, they moved into the same place. Mom, dad, all the kids. She had married, they had a child, and then they had another one. And then uh, when, um, as life progressed, they moved out into the country and everybody moved in the same house. So I don't necessarily have a problem with that. I think that, you know, for the sake of the kids, I think it's a great thing to have the parents and the grandparents in the same, within close proximity. On the other hand... When you look at this over a greater, um, you know, the greater social culture that we have, there's this idea out there, and I kind of like the idea that as you, when you hit 18, 19, 20, you need to strike out into the great big world and make your own mark and, and you know, carve out your niche. However, whatever cliche you want to use to, to um, uh, make the point, but the bottom line is, like when I when I hit 18, I stepped out on my own and I never went back. You know, my son did the same thing. 18 years old, out the door he went. And I don't I don't hold that against them. Um, you know, he's turned in a very fine, bright young man. Um, same thing with, with all of them. They're, as they hit that 18, 19-year-old mark, now in a couple of cases, they stayed a little longer than that. Uh, my oldest daughter came back for a a few years before she got married, but she had been out and be, well, who cares about all the details? But in other words, in general, uh, in life, life in particular, uh, when it comes to what we, we think of as traditional, it isn't really, it is traditional in the sense that we've been doing it for a while, but in the greater scheme of things, and when I say that, I mean kicking kids out of the nest so they can go start their own, you know, they can build their own nest. Uh, yes, that's, that's very much um, a cultural thing for us. But on the other side of the coin, there is this idea that uh, if you look back at some of the great cultures in the world, um, families like in the older, in your, uh, let's say, pre-industrial evolution days or revolution days, it was not uncommon at all for children to take their elderly parents in or they just, you know, they, they lived in the same house because it was expensive and very difficult to build a new home. Um, you know, it took a lot of time, energy, and resources that might go someplace else and be more productive. So homes got built a lot more slowly, and the expansion of families took a little while longer. And that's why uh, for the longest time, for most of our experience on this planet, uh, people lived and died within 200 miles where they were born. Because it was just so... It took so long to get anywhere. You could, until the Industrial Revolution, man could only travel as fast as the horse could run. And that was it. So, but on the other side of the coin, in our culture today, 
you know, you've got it. The downside of all this is when you've got people who are staying at home because it's convenient, right? Like, why would you go out into the great big wide world and expose yourself to all the dangers and the risks and, you know, everything that goes on out there um, if you don't have to? If you can live in your mom and dad's place until you're 35 or 40, I'm being from a very selfish point of view here, okay? I'm just thinking about this from if if I were someone who, you know, just liked to sit in my parents' basement, drink beer, and play video games. Well, (laughs) what do you got? You might have a part-time job to pay for, pay room and board maybe a little bit, and some parents wouldn't even ask for that. So is it all surprising? And is that necessarily a good thing? I would say no. I would think that you'd want those people to go out and accept some responsibility for themselves and get out there and, and, you know, start their own life. But I'm also cognizant of the fact that in the case of this uh, Chinese family as an example, and they're not the only example. There's a lot of of different uh, groups that do that. Uh, They live a very tight-knit family unit. But I I think the difference comes in how that family unit interacts with each other. Like, um, you know, the husband and wife will go out and work, and everybody contributes to um, the welfare of the family as a whole. Like, one of my my kids were talking the other day about this idea about how they've been kicking the idea around. I don't know if it'll go anywhere, but let me just throw this out. They were saying that, you know, if we each took a certain percentage of our income and threw it into a pot, let's say 5%, 10%, you figure out whatever number works, and... Whenever we needed to, if somebody needed a mortgage or if somebody needed to, you you could go to that pot and take, if you wanted to buy a new car or whatever it was, rather than go into debt, draw from that. Now, I see that fraught with problems, but the idea is interesting. Okay, and there's certain cultures and certain groups who do that. I believe the Amish do that. Like one of the things, we've got a bunch of um, Amish who have moved up to uh, Deacon, not Deacon, I keep calling it Douglas, uh, between Renfrew and uh, Eganville. And I don't know how many families there are, but let's say there's a dozen, okay? And they've all come up, they've bought big 100-acre, 200-acre farms. They paid for them in cash because they sold their places down near St. Jacob's for millions because 100 acres or 200 acres in southern Ontario is worth a small, okay, well, let's be honest, a big fortune. So they said, well, okay, fine, you know. And they sold it. You're very prudent with their money, came up, and now they're settled in and make great neighbors. They're, they're wonderful people. I'm not condemning them at all. It's just the fact that the, they tend to have this idea where the family supports itself as a whole unit and they don't get into trouble financially because they don't ever borrow money outside the family. It's just an interesting thought. I just thought I'd float that past you and see if there was anybody who wanted to uh, give me. You can give me a call at 343-700-4390 or 844-562-4766 if you'd like to discuss that. But just think about what kind of situation that would be like. Now, to make that work... Okay, you've got to have a more than one kid, one child. That much, pretty much goes without saying. You're going to need to have two, three, four, or more uh, people contributing to that pot to make it effective. And then you have to have people who are reasonable, rational, and well-grounded and 
put are are tend to put the needs of others at least on par with their own, and that's a difficult thing. So that's what I meant earlier when I said is I see it fraught with problems. You see, one of the things in culture in this culture that we've done is we have made finances a god. It's more than just an end to a means or means to an end. Sorry, um, money these days has become its own deity. That there are some people who are so caught up with making money, or or um, you know providing, uh, getting all the toys in life, that they've forgotten the whole point. And that is, it money is nothing more than a measuring stick. And when you use the things that you gain through life correctly, in my estimation and correctly could mean different things to different people in this case. But if you've got something that somebody else needs and they have a serious need for it, you let them use it, whether it's a car or a lawnmower, whatever it is. You know, if there's somebody who runs into trouble, let's say there's a fire and people need food, you know, because everything has been wiped out in the fire, then they're going to need immediate assistance, uh, lodging, food, clothing, shelter, whatever, Okay, in order to take care of them in the immediate short term. So there's there's a whole bunch of it. It takes a very, uh, you know, people just get so caught up in the in the day to day grind to make money that they they've decided that the only thing that matters is that, and anybody who gets in their way is going to get trampled over them. And it's a very nihilistic and self selfish uh, way to live. That's a little off the tra- off the topic, but I just wondered about this whole idea of what you thought of that about the um, idea of of um, Having families stay in the same house, um, given the, the, the way that the world is. It's, and the other thing to keep in mind is housing now. And my daughter just bought her own place. They've been married four years now. Is that four? Um, she, her and Darren just bought a new place. And they are over the moon. It is a, it's a really nice first home. It's got a great garage on it. It's a, lots of room for the kids to run around outside. So she's taken the, the more, as I would call it, traditional route, and I'm glad to see it. But at the same time, there's something about, and I like to have the kids close, and I know that my wife does too, but I don't know that I would want them full-time in the house when they're 45. I'm the, okay, time for you to go, you know, make earn a living and all that stuff in the great outdoors. So maybe it's time you... Uh, went and found something constructive to do besides, you know, drink my beer and, and uh, play my play on my computer. Um, we do have some of that going on except the beer part because when the kids aren't old enough yet, they do spend a little time on the computer. All right, take a little break. There's We've got uh, some more stuff for you coming up. Uh, just to give you a hint, Jordan Peterson is in the news. Um, the Big O in Montreal is in the news. Uh, let's see what else. Oh, yes, the Navy's in the news. It's not really a big story, but it's kind of sad. And then we're going to get into Patrick Brown. Oh, boy. All right, so with that, I'm going to play a couple commercials, and we'll be right back with more after this. CEO of the Greater Ottawa Truckers Association, the voice of independent truckers in the Ottawa area, and proud supporters of Nick at Night. 
Every day we go to work to help build a better Eastern Ontario, and safety is our top priority. Every start of the shift, our drivers perform inspections on their truck, so we ensure that our drivers go home to their families each night, and you, the public, have confidence that the big truck beside you is safe. If you have any issues relating to any size truck, I encourage you to contact me at 613-738-1639. Let's build a better, fatality-free Ottawa together. For 17 years, I've been taking my cars to Irwin's Automotion. 17 years ago, Irwin was renting space on the corner of Bank and Heron. His encyclopedic knowledge of all things mechanical and his no-bull honesty has resulted in his second move. He now operates a huge facility on Cleopatra, eight bays, and an expert staff that operate all in the same wavelength. Honesty, integrity, try to save the customers some money and headaches, but fix it right the first time. Irwin's Automotion, 34, Cleopatra. Tell them Council sent you. That'll make them smile. Day after day, alone on a hill. The man with the foolish grin is keeping perfectly still. But nobody wants to know him. They can see that he's just a fool. And he never gives an answer. But the fool's on the hill. All right. Thanks for staying with me, folks. Um, let me go back over some of this, and then we'll dig, in, dig into Patrick. Well, what the heck? I got the story up. Let's talk about Patrick Brown right now. I've been saying for a long time that Patrick, uh, as much as I, I hate to say this, and I don't take, uh, I don't like this, but he is uh, not only his own worst enemy because of the way he's handling things within the PC party in Ontario. In other words, he is ordaining or uh, hand-picking candidates, and if you don't like it, tough. No matter what the people in the party have to say, or the grassroots for that matter, they're not interested in what he, and you know, that kind of thing, which is tragic. It really is tragic that it's, it's gotten to that point. Uh, but because he has been expecting, uh, he says he doesn't want SOCON uh, support, he doesn't want landowner support, but at the end of the day, his attitude seems to be, well, I don't care what they think because they're not, they got nowhere else to go. So they'll vote for me. They'll hold their nose and vote. Well, my, my colleague Rick Gibbons wrote a piece um, in The Sun this week, and he pointed out something. Now, look, I like Rick. I've met him in, you know, when, when we were on terrestrial, when I was on terrestrial radio, um, we would, uh, you know, we got to know each other a little bit. And he's not what I would call a hardcore right winger, and very much a centrist. Um, he would probably—I'm I'm guessing—and I'm, I'm not trying to to put votes in his hand, but most likely he would vote liberal. Um, I don't—I just don't know that for sure. But anyway, he writes uh, a very interesting column where he—and he, I don't mean to say this, make it sound bad—but even he understands that Patrick Brown is in trouble. So let me uh, just share a couple paragraphs of this with you. Patrick Brown may be enjoying the view from his perch atop most opinion polls, but he'd do well to listen to those rumblings in the distance. They're the sound of growing discontent over his leadership of the Ontario PCs, and they're from deep within the party. You got that right. The Conservatives have enjoyed such a commanding lead in opinion polls of late that it's only natural that Brown's office would dismiss a wheels-off-the-bus profile of the PC leader by the Toronto Star last week just as another predictable Liberal hit job. Maybe so. The paper isn't exactly turf-friendly for the PCs. But the Liberals said 
<clears throat> the liberals and one prof- the liberals and one profile aren't Brown's biggest problems these days. The party is plagued by internal controversy in at least a half a dozen writings and a rising chorus of party malcontents. It's funny, you know, why would he call them malcontents? Anyway, is expressing alarm over his leadership and the dirty tricks they allege are being employed by his office during nomination battles, including right here in Ottawa. Allege? No, Rick, with all due respect, buddy, they're not alleged. These things, everybody knows they happened. What happened to Jace Tysick isn't alleged. It's fact. What happened in King Vaughn wasn't alleged. It was fact. Handpicking 65 candidates and dropping them into writings isn't alleged. It's fact. Anyway, the critics fall into two camps. Social conservatives who think Brown has surrendered principle in the pursuit of more moderate progressive voters and party stalwarts who cry shenanigans over tactics being employed to get what what they see as Brown-favored candidates nominated for the next election. Guess what? First of all, and again, I'm having a problem with the way the article is structured. Even if they do come from two different corners of the same party, they have the same complaints. They're being taken for granted, and their will, their, their will about who they want to represent them within the Conservative Party is being trampled on. So anyway, so Patrick Brown is in a ton of trouble. Uh, he doesn't know it yet, or at least he's not acknowledging it yet. Um, the uh, I was talking to you before about a party called Alliance Ontario, uh, they are filing their petition uh, to be registered, I believe it's this week. So that should come relatively quickly. Um, and I think in the not-too-distant future, you'll probably see something like a convention. I don't have any more details than that, but I've looked over the party platform. I know the, some of the people involved in putting this together, and um, this could very easily be a viable threat. Now, I don't think that an Alliance Ontario party would form government in this next election. But if they were to steal three or four seats away, that would certainly be a big deal. That would certainly be a very big deal, especially if Patrick Brown ends up because of it with a minority instead of a majority. Now, you might say that's all wishful thinking. You might say, yeah, sure, that's going to happen. Hey, listen. All I got for, for people who doubt that this could happen, I just got one word for you, and that's Trump. Whether you like him or not, it's not the point. Nobody, nobody called it. Everybody got it wrong, and yet who's the president today? So is it possible that we could be looking at another, if not a total upset, I'm not going to call for that, but a certainly shifting, uh, um, a, um, a shift in the political landscape in a way that's that moves towards the right, which is about time. Because I don't know about you, but I've had enough of, of progressive policies. I just enough of it. Because what happens is these are the, some of the most corrosive and damaging policies that I think we've ever seen. Uh, the, whether it be when, um, you know, take, take the liberal list of scandals and just it's from here to the moon. Now, the reason I think Patrick Brown is no answer is because he believes in all the same things. And I've said this a hundred times and I keep pounding on on Facebook. I keep pounding people with it when they say, well, we got to get rid of Kathleen Wynne. 
Okay, have you ever seen Danny Kaye in the 1950s drama? It's about um, a feast. It's set in the Middle Ages, and it's a comedy, and it's got Danny Kaye in it, and it's the um, flagging, it's the the pestle with the pistol. Now, how does that go? But the flagon with the dragon is the brew that is true. In other words, there's <laughs> there's so much confusion about which one's true, which one's real, and which one's not that they lose track of which one has the poison, which which cup. The, the whole point is there's poison in one cup but not in the other, and they lose track of which one it is. And the whole comic scene. This is what this is like. You know, Patrick Brown and Kathleen Wynne are the same poison. Don't be confused by the cup they're in. In other words, it doesn't matter whether or not these kind of policies come from uh, an administration under a blue flag or an administration under a red flag. It doesn't matter. What matters is what kind of policies are they putting into place? And are they good for the province? And if they're, if the answer is yes, then fine. But if they're the same kind of nonsense, like carbon taxes, like, uh, you know, um, this whole idea that climate change is real and all that nonsense, sex ed curriculum that isn't going to be overhauled and tossed and rewritten, uh, you know, that kind of thing. All the things that Pat Kathleen Wynne believes in, Patrick believes in too. And he won't do anything about it. So why would we vote for the same thing, just wearing a different tie? Well, we got to get rid of Kathleen Wynne. Okay, I agree with you, but replacing her with Patrick Brown isn't the answer. You see, understand this. If you understand nothing else, understand this. If Patrick Brown wins a majority, running the party the way he's run it over the last two years, you can bet yourself two things. That the idea of getting to choose who your candidate is through a grassroots movement here in the province of Ontario is toast. And the other thing you need to understand is that when other parties, both provincially and federally, see what he gets away with, they will do exactly the same thing. Do you know why? Because they will say, it worked for Patrick. That's how we get elected. We will decide who's going to represent the people. You want that? Because that's where we're headed. That's what's coming down the pike. And what are you going to do then? when you can't even nominate somebody you want to vote for, never mind if they win or not, but you can't even nominate somebody you want to vote for within a party that you may have belonged to for most of your life. Now, the question becomes, are you leaving them or are they leaving you? In my case, they left me. I'm just curious, what, you know, this is what's at risk. This is why it's so important to make sure that Cat Patrick Brown is shown the door as soon as possible and that he cannot be allowed to be, gain a majority. He just can't because if he does, that poison will infect the whole country of handpicking candidates and you can kiss it goodbye. And then what kind of country do we, do we live in? Oh, I don't know. But it certainly won't be the kind of democracy we're used to now. And make no mistake about it, I'm not overplaying this.
I'm not just doing it to be dramatic. Look at the state of the province. Look at the state of the country. Now, in some, from an economic point of view, except for Ontario, uh, the country is, the, the economy is growing a little bit. It's, uh, they've raised the interest rates. But there's more to a successful country than just how much wealth it creates. You know, how safe is it for your kids? What, what kind of insane policies come down the pike on things like environment, on education, on, on energy? You know, how, how do we continue to pay for this? How long, in other words, would that last, the, you know, the good times economically, if you want to call them that, under the leadership of a guy like Patrick Brown? Well, we already know what it's like under Kathleen Wynne, and I don't see any difference between them. So we cannot, we cannot allow this to happen. So... When the go, just Google Alliance Ontario. Go look at their platform and have a look and ask yourself: Is this the place for me? I'm not telling you what to do. As I'm not telling you to join the party. I'm just saying, give it a look. You can't join the party right now, anyway, because it hasn't been registered. But you can go and have a look. Just thought I'd mention it. All right. With that, we'll take a little break. I'm going to go refill my teacup. And when we get back, we will have more right after this. So Nick is reloading and taking a much-needed break. Not that he needs one. But maybe it's a good thing. So if you want to fire him off an email, just uh, send it to nick at latenightcouncil.com. That's simple, huh? Nick at latenightcouncil.com. Or better yet, call now. Hey, I know he could talk forever, but you know what? If you're doing talk radio, you love the calls. 343-700-4390. That's 343-700-4390 for the Capital Region. And if you can't get through on that line or you live far, far, far away, like we're talking about Alaska, 1-844-562-4766. That's 1-844-562-4766. Now, our call service is automated. You won't be talking to a live person until you're live on air. Don't sweat it. Just follow the prompts and while you're on hold and, and, and you'll be fine. Night does not exist without advertisers. So if you want to buy time, you contact either myself, JC at latenightcouncil.com, or you can contact Nick if you're more comfortable with him. And of course, I certainly understand that. You can contact Nick at latenightcouncil.com. The ads are like really, really cheap. I mean, you're gonna you're gonna love them. Okay, you're, you're, we've we've made them quite accessible. 
Feedback is always welcome. Tell us what you like. Tell us what you don't like. And thanks for tuning in. Now, back to Nick at Night. You know, some people make me laugh. I mean... (laughs) Oh, man. I'm just going over some of the Facebook comments during the break. And this one come from a guy called Anderson. <laughs> now, Anderson and I, we've been back and forth a few times on Facebook about a bunch of different things. And he's a hardcore communist. He's a Marxist through and through. And he, may- <laughs> he makes this comment. And I'm laughing because it's absolutely absurd. But what the heck? Let me share it. Because believe it or not, there's actually a, a person or two out there who thinks I'm a blithering idiot. Anderson is one of them. And I'm not overly opposed to that. Not everybody has to like me by any stretch. So here's what he says. For God's sake, Nick, you say you're smarter than 10,000 climate scientists and you can't even get a laptop to work? I guess you went to Killaloo College. (laughs) Killaloo College. Oh, my God. If he knew anything about Killaloo, he would never say that. Oh, my, that's funny. Yeah, Anderson, that's okay, buddy. (laughs) Don't you worry about it. We'll let the adults take care of things. (laughs) Oh, boy. All right. Anyway, back to some other stuff. All right. Now, um, I'm going to bring this up just because it's a little bit of uh, nostalgia from my part. I'm not going to dwell on this very long, but the last... Uh, what we call Auxiliary Oiler Replenishment Ship, uh, built in the 1960s, is a ship called the Preserver. You can't call it HMCS anymore because the commission has been removed. It is no longer a commissioned vessel. And it's waiting to go to the boneyard. And it's a sad day because it's not only is it the last tanker, but it's the last of the steam-powered vessels in the Canadian fleet. And my whole time in the Navy in the 1980s was... All steam. And I don't know, most of you probably won't appreciate this. And I'm like I said, I'm not going to dwell on it long. But steam is something that is, the only word I can think of is alive. If there's anybody out there who's a sailor, and I mean like a, a um, I'm not talking about a naval type sailor. I mean somebody who uses sailboats. There's that moment when you go out there on the body of water, you unfurl the sail, and the ship just seems to come alive. My daughter was telling me about this on her trip on the Blue Nose, too. She said they motored out of the harbor on the engine, and then when they got out past the mouth of Halifax Harbor, they put the sail, killed the engine, put the sails down. She said, Dad, it, would, it, just, it just came alive. The, the whole ship just seemed to, you know, there was this sudden burst of energy. And that's what steam's like. It was just... You, it's, you're waking up a gentle giant or you're waking up a giant you have to do it gently it's not gentle it can be very very dangerous stuff but anyway she's the last one of her of her kind for a couple of reasons so it's really kind of sad to see her go they are building her replacement I've been watching the progress uh, I believe it's the Davies shipyard up in up in um, Laval, Quebec I think is where it's located and they're coming along it's going to be a beautiful ship there's no doubt about it now never mind the cost or the politics involved but finally, 
uh, the Navy's going to get a brand new ship and it's going to serve us for years and do a really good job of it. So I'm glad to see that. But to watch the old preserver, uh, you know, getting ready to go to the boneyard and be broken up, I mean, it's over 500 feet long. You're not going to, they're not going to, Canada just doesn't do museum ships. There's only three that I know of, the Haida, the Bredore, and the submarine there was a big kerfuffle about a year or two ago um, down in, um, uh, it's down in, where is it, Erie, Ontario, or someplace like that. Uh, they had to take it down the lakes. Anyway, so we don't do that very often or very well, I think. Uh, if you take a little walk on the Haida, she should be, um, anyway, I won't go down that road. It just breaks my heart. I just goes back to my Navy days and how much I love the, the uh, um, the Marine element, the, the Royal Canadian Navy has always been very near and dear to my heart. So sorry to see the old girl go is I guess what I'm trying to say. All right. Now, okay. Now this borders on the ultimate in environmental insanity. Okay. We have access to more oil now than we ever have in our history. They're finding more oil all the time. Canada is awash in it. We have, there, there's something going on in Europe. And I, I was listening to, I think it was Brian Lilly was talking about this with somebody. And the conversation came up that in France and in Britain and in different countries in Europe, um, they want to ban the car. By 2040. Now, that sounds like a long way away, but we're already going into 20... We're, we're pretty much halfway, over halfway through 2017. So that's like 22 years from now. It's within our lifetimes. So let me just jump in down, down here. Uh, jump into the article here. I'll share a little with you. And ask yourself, what are these people smoking? Britain is to ban all new petrol and diesel cars and vans from 2040, from 2040 amid fears that rising levels of nitrogen oxide pose a major risk to public health. <laughs> the commitment, which follows a, stellar a similar pledge in France, is part of the government's much-anticipated clean air plan, which has been at the heart of protracted high, uh, protracted high court legal battle. The government warned that the move, which will also take in hybrid vehicles, was needed because of the unnecessary and avoidable impact that poor air quality was having on people's health. Ministers believe it poses the largest environmental risk to public health in the United Kingdom, costing £2.7 billion in lost productivity in one recent year. What a load of tripe! Cars are more environmentally friendly than they've ever been. Not only, but you know what's you know what's behind this, and this is my looking at the scenario and say, okay, this doesn't make any sense on the surface. Because if you ban a car, what are people going to do? Even in England, which is not the biggest country on the planet by far, never mind the kind of tomfoolery would be here in North America, and you can count on it; it's coming. They're going to want us to start to restrict who can buy cars and for what reason. That'll be where it starts. You know, you're going to have to explain yourself about why you want to buy a car or a truck or who knows what else. And it'll all be for the good of the earth. So anyway, they're starting. This is the, the beginning of this is in Europe by 2040. And it's absolute nonsense. If Britain has bad air, it's not because of the cars. 
is because I got too many politicians who are breathing out this these fumes. The nitrous oxide is probably coming from their version of our Parliament Hill. It's insane the kind of nonsense that's going on here. Anyway, but think about it. Let's let's jump ahead a few years, and I want you to think for just a minute of what life would be like in Canada if they decided that's it, no more cars. Now it would take a few, you know, uh, it would take a while to disassemble the infrastructure. You're going to have people like me who would say, "Screw you! I'm going to keep driving anyway." So unless they're going to make owning cars illegal, good luck with that. Um, it'll take a little while before we run out of cars to drive. It'd be kind of like Cuba, where people keep the 1950s classics going, not because they want to, but because they don't have any other choice. But what would life be like if you couldn't go outside, put your keys in your car, and say, you know what, I want to go to Munster today. And for no other reason than I want to go there. Or let's go over to Swego, over New York. Or maybe I want to go to Toronto and see the CN Tower. Or what if I wanted to go to Temiskaming because I want to go fishing up there? Or what if I want to go to Quebec City? Or drive across the country just because I want to? You see, the car is all about freedom. Individual freedom. And with it, as long as you drive it safely, according to the Highway Traffic Act, you don't have to explain yourself to anybody. You can just get in and go. And progressives hate that. They want to control every minute, every second of your life from cradle to grave. And that's what's behind this. Because it doesn't make any sense any other way. Now, you can call me 343-700-4390-844-562-4766. I'd love to take a call on that. Uh, by all means, uh, give me a shout. But this this nonsense about cars, it's just it just makes me shake my head. Because imagine, unless you want to become Amish, <laughs> you know something? They're probably one of the few people few groups out there, and there's other groups like that. I'm just using them as a general, um, uh, how do I put it, example of what your life would be like if we had to take you back 250 years or so to a time before the Industrial Revolution. Could you imagine what that would be like? Just take cars out of the equation. Because, never. okay, never mind the personal freedom stuff. Think of, and you don't, and again, I know that, that you already are aware of this, but sometimes it doesn't hurt, hurt to hear it said out loud. What would we replace building cars with? Because that is the backbone of our economy. From an economic point of view, there's no reason to ban cars. From an environmental view, there's no reason to ban cars. From a transportation um, point of view, there's no reason to ban cars. And from a personal freedom, there's especially no reason to ban cars. As certainly here in Canada. I mean, look, I admit it, I admire the Amish because when I come home in January, when I drive home to Killaloo, and I watch those people in the horse and buggy, you know, and it's minus 30, minus 25 out there, I admire them, but I don't want to be one. 
You know, I'm not being negative about them. That's a choice they've made, and they that they are certainly uh, living with it. That's all fine, but I'm sorry, I am not interested in living that way. You know, the, the whole point of living in democracy is to be able to, or living in a free state, living in a, in a country where you're allowed to succeed or fail based on your strengths and your weaknesses. Okay, and it's also a safe place to be stupid. But when you have people telling you something as basic as, no, you can't buy that. Unless you're talking, you know, there's certain exceptions to that, like alcohol and minors and certain, uh, you know, different things like that. Um, you can't go out and buy a, a case of dynamite. There was a time you could. Farmers used to buy it all the time, blow stumps. And up in the Ottawa Valley, they would use it to uh, get rid of beaver dams so they didn't wash out roads, which they have a bad habit of doing. But those days are long gone. You you certainly can't go and get a uh, uh, a box of uh, dynamite from your local, uh, you know, from your local hardware store. But I remember growing up as a kid, I could go down to uh, it was Joe called Joe's uh, Joe's General Store down there in Staples, where I was uh, where I stomped around as a kid. And I'd walk in there and lay down my dollar ninety nine, and I'd bring back fifty rounds of ammunition for my single t- shot twenty two. And he said, "Oh, you're going to shoot some birds, are you?" I said, "I don't know. We'll see." Down the road I'd go. I haven't done that in years, but you can't do that anymore. So, other than that, though, if you want to buy a car, why should I have any any say in it? Okay, and I I can hear all the progressives. Well, you know. The Earth's resources are not limitless, and you have to take into account the feelings of other people. And just because you can have a car uh, doesn't mean that everybody can. No, I know that. That makes me enjoy it that much more. You know, and the fact I have one means that if somebody else needs to borrow it, I've got one to lend. They don't think like that. Anyway, so that's the thing about the car. All right, there was another. Okay, when we get back from this break, we're going to talk about the big O because this is just enough to make you shake your head too. We'll be right back with more after this. Ron Barr, General Manager and CEO of the Greater Ottawa Truckers Association, the voice of independent truckers in the Ottawa area and proud supporters of Nick at Night. Every day we go to work to help build a better eastern Ontario, and safety is our top priority. Every start of the shift, our drivers perform inspections on their truck, so we ensure that our drivers go home to their families each night, and you, the public, have confidence that the big truck beside you is safe. If you have any issues relating to any size truck, I encourage you to contact me at 613-738-1639. Let's build a better, fatality-free Ottawa together. EMM Group is the authorized Integraspec distributor for the greater Ottawa area, providing technically advanced insulated concrete forms. The design virtually eliminates waste while providing the ultimate energy-efficient, quiet homes and structures. With over 40 years' experience in the concrete industry, EMM offers the best product to homeowners and contractors. Canadian-made Integraspec is now being used worldwide. More info can be found at Integraspec.com. Don't consider building any other way. Call your ICF specialist, 613-835-2600.
All right. Uh, let's see if I can do this. Good evening. Welcome to the Nick at Night Show. Who am I talking to? You're talking with Mike. Hi. Hey, Mike. How you doing? Not too bad. Good. Um, boy, that was some of the best radio. <laughs> Just kidding. Yeah. It um, might have been for a lot of reasons, but not for... <laughs> it's not going to the Broadcast Hall of Fame, that's for sure. <laughs> it happens. Yeah, I know. Um, anyways, uh, you got some good stuff on the table there, so I couldn't resist. Uh, let's start with the... Uh, Let's start with the green nonsense. You know, it occurs to me, look at how they sell this stuff. So they wanted us to get into windmills and solar because the sun shines and the wind blows, and we're not making use of it, and we should make use of it, and it's cleaner power and all the rest of it. Why, if this is their attitude and this is their justification, why is, like, uh, Niagara Falls not running at 100% capacity, and why are we not expanding it? Well, that is a very good question, and you know the answer because, already. And, and obviously, it kind of shows there's, a, there's an ulterior motive here. It has absolutely nothing to because you can't sit there and say that, what, Niagara Falls is wrecking the environment? It's going to go, the water is going over those falls, whether you like it or not, whether you let the thing turn or not. It's going to go. So why wouldn't, you, again, this was their justification for why we want windmills and solar, which are not as reliable as the water one. That's why we call it hydro, right? So I don't understand. Why are we not using that? So they, they kind of betray themselves in, in how they go about implementing these things. So they're not really for trying to protect the environment, are they? No, it's um, never been about environment. It's always been about control. It's always been about control. And, yeah, sure, they've enriched themselves along the way. I mean, you, you notice all the people that, that tell you that uh, – you know, the, the, the seas are rising and everybody runs for the hills and turn off the lights and Al Gore buys several mansions on the waterfront. Well, that doesn't seem like... It, wouldn't you be doing the Lex Luthor thing? Wouldn't you be buying in Arizona for when the water gets there? I mean... Or Denver. Yeah. Because, <laughs> I, I mean, if he really believes that water is going to rise, you know, it, it just shows their hypocrisy. So that's just what they are. It's all about control. And, and they ha they make all the... They make all the decisions for the rest of us. Now, you know, you were talking earlier about Patrick Brown being a progressive, and yep. I, I, this is something that I think people really need to start learning about. We're getting, it's getting to be where people are starting to know what the progressive movement is, the history of it. They're, they're starting to see it and learn it, and it's starting to get around out there. Um, and, you know, like I got into a discussion this week on Facebook about progressivism and you know, the comment was more like, well, they're not progressive, they're regressive. But, again, you know, it, you're a Marxist. You want to control everybody's life. Hey, who wants, to, who wants to be a slave, my slave? Who's signing up for that? Nobody. They're going to they're gonna twist it, and they're going to try to trick you into signing up, believing you're going for liberty. So they're, they're all going to profess that. They're just, you've got to kind of know whose arms you're running into. Yeah, well, again, it's, it's the whole point of all of this. It, because, look, there's so many different areas we could go. If you were really serious about changing the way we provide power, okay, and that's a laudable thing. I'm not saying we have to stay with the same technology uh, tomorrow as we did yesterday just because we did it yesterday. I don't have any problem looking at new and efficient, more efficient ways of creating power. I do As long as the market drives it. Yeah, well, of course. But the point that I'm yeah. making, though, is that it's – 
like as an example, if I come up with, let, let's say, if I came up with a, a nuclear power plant, I could fit in the palm of my hand and would power a whole house. You know, and there's no danger of radiation. I'm being hypothetical here, of course. But why wouldn't I be interested in that? Why would I not want to take our garbage and turn that into energy and solve two or three problems at once? Like I get rid of, uh, you wouldn't have to recycle anymore the way we do now. You wouldn't have uh, uh, landfills anymore. And you'd have cheap power. And Yeah, and you see, and, and Lowell went through this years ago on the radio. And he banged away on this forever. Turn the, turn the waste into energy. And it's already cleaner than what we're doing now. And it's kind of a, it's much more efficient and all the rest of it. And they, they block it. So again, it's it, it, they have no. It's not about the environment. It's all about control. That's all it's ever been. And these are just very pathetic guys, uh, uh, like ruses that people fall for. Yes, and that's that's the other tragedy is how easily people accept this stuff without ever going. Okay, let's follow the money. Let's have a look at this. Does this really make sense? And nobody wants to take the mental energy required to sit down and run it through the gray matter. A lot of it is because that gray matter has already been preconditioned to accept the answers the government gives. And I get really now, tired of that. Something, something like just before we get, because, I mean, we've already exhausted that topic. Most people listening now already know this is a scam anyway. So. Yeah, that's true. But As, this, this whole business of progressivism, this is important because when we say win is the same as brown or whatever, first off, we've got to stop focusing on the leader because it doesn't really matter if Wynne is there or gone tomorrow. If she, even if she stepped down tomorrow, so what? There's going to be another one right in her place doing the exact same thing or worse. So that's, it, it, it's not about the person. It's about their platform and their policies. It's about their political philosophy and agenda. And, and in that, Patrick Brown is pretty much the same. That the, again, he's the one who's pushing that he's a progressive. He's the one pushing that, not us. Well, I think he's the one who's pushed conservatives out. He's the one made sure that they, he doesn't want no part of them. Well, the, the thing you have to understand is that too many people don't understand why progress. Because who wouldn't want to be progressive, right? To pro, to make progress is the root of that word, of course. So who wouldn't want that? Well, that well, how's that old saying go? Just because we can do something doesn't mean we should. And it's up to us to explain the difference between real positive pro- progress and the kind of progress these people are talking about and how the two are not even remotely the same. No, and that's the thing. And this is why, you know, learning about the actual progressive movement. So I now I've pushed Hillsdale before. Hillsdale College has a whole course on just the progressive movement. And uh, I, I decided to go back and, and retake it again. And, um, boy, I'll tell you, of course, it starts off with Woodrow Wilson because he's one of the primary uh, forces behind the progressive movement. And this guy is so influential today in worldwide, especially Canada, especially America. This guy had major influence. He was, coming, he was writing papers in the 18, I guess, 80s about his dreams of the administrative state, all run very scientifically. So when you get into him and when you get into the other progressives, here's what they believe. They reject the idea that man is born free or that man is born equal with equal rights. They reject all of that. They believe that the only way for you to get free or or, or have equal rights is if you have a totalitarian government that's in total control and that it's all being run very scientifically. See, they even actually talk about how 
the old dictators, well, they were just a bunch of lunatics, and of course they were bad, but we've got science now, as if science is some, and remember, they're talking their version of science, not actual science, but I digress. They, they're going to base everything on science now, and, and we're going to run everything very clinically, and, and, and we, we need, we, the separations of powers makes it very difficult for government to do what it needs to do for you to make you free. So they've got to get rid of all that so that they can have more power. And what, you know, it's funny because now Wilson, he's always pushing democracy. He's real big on that. It's collectivism, right? And power to the people. But he also kind of notices that you can't just let the people be making all the decisions. That's not very scientific, and it's not going to... They're not going to come up with good solutions. So he doesn't like that. So he, he pushes it on one hand, but he really wants to get away from the political side of it. So he starts pushing the administrative state or bureaucratic despotism. Uh, Bob shared an interesting article several months ago. You put it on Facebook. That was excellent. Uh, again, this idea of an administrative state. So you look at how things are running here. You, 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 you get these sort of groups that are created by the government, you don't get to vote for them. You don't get to have say in them. They get to come up with whatever rules and regulations, so it's not even passing a law. They just craft or they just write it down on a piece of paper and voila, it's a rule and we all have to follow it. And then they have the power to enforce it. Then they have the power to judge it. So they basically have total power in, in this sort of government body that we have no say over. And they just keep creating it, administration after administration. So you've got environmentalists, I think. You've got uh, the conservation things that are here in, in uh, Ontario that the landowners are constantly fighting. That's what all of this is. That's the administrative state. And this is what Wilson envisioned for the future of government. All right. Well, listen, Mike, excellent call as always. Thank you very much. I have a little clip here I want to play before we go to the break. Thanks for the call. Thanks. All right. Now, um, I have, if I can get this to work. Uh, yeah, I think I'm ready. Look at that. Okay, this <clears throat> progressivism is another word for socialism. And socialism, they're, they're interchangeable because that's, that's kind of where they, they're trying to change the language so that you're not as... Um, uh, how do I, you're not as disposed, uh, you're not ne as negatively disposed towards uh, progressivism as people might be towards socialism. But this is a clip by Ben Shapiro who explains basic ec uh, economics to uh, students uh, and just does a really good job of laying out why socialism doesn't work. Here it is. Uh, you know, it, what I said about income inequality is a few things. Number one, the idea that the people who are very, very rich somehow stole from the people who are very, very poor, and that's why they're very, very rich is stupid. Poor people are poor and don't have lots of money to steal. Okay, so the idea that if you that Bill Gates got rich by ripping off a bunch of homeless people, homeless people were not buying Microsoft, nor was he going to them, forcing Microsoft on them for them to stick into their boxes, right? Like that's not how that's not how he got rich. The way you get rich in any free functioning economy is by participating in an enormous number of voluntary transactions that benefit both sides. You should care about the question of poverty, you shouldn't care about the question of income inequality. You should care about how do we make poor people rich, not how do we make rich people poorer so that everybody's at the same level. Because that's just you being jealous. That's just you not liking the guy's house next door because it's bigger than your house. And look at that, he has a big house, I have a smaller house, maybe I'll just go rob his place. Right? That's not, that's not moral and it's not decent. And it's also not true. The fact is that while the left decries income inequality, the evils of capitalism, since 1994, the, the world extreme poverty rate has been sliced in half 
by increased capitalism and, and by free markets. I mean, the free markets that are now being bashed left and right, those free markets are the greatest innovation in the history of humanity when it comes to the economy. It's why you have nice stuff. It's why you're not sitting in your backyard right now crafting your own handmade tie from a, from a sheep that you had to shear yourself. I mean, there's a, I thought there's a, there's a great thing. I mean, just there's a little bit of a, of, a, of a caveat on trade. I thought my favorite story the last few months, there was some guy who decided that he wanted to make himself a BLT and see how much it costs to make the whole thing himself, right, like from scratch. So he actually went and he bought a cow and then he and, and he and he like killed the cow and, and he and he went out and he got a pig and like he like he went out and he did he he got he milked and he made the cheese he went out and he he grew some wheat and then he milled it right this whole thing it cost him sixteen hundred dollars to make a BLT and it took him six months right you can go down to your local restaurant and get a BLT for five bucks because of global trade and because freedom of of, of income and the fact is that when people talk about income inequality what they're really saying is. They don't understand how money works. They think that if, if there's two people in a room, one person with five bucks, one person with one, the person with five stole from the person with one. It doesn't ask the question, how did the person get poor? The reality is if you don't want to be permanently poor in America, it's very, very easy. The Brookings Institute, which is a left-leaning institute, they say you only have to do three things. Graduate high school, don't have babies out of wedlock, get a job. That's it. Those are the three things. 75% of the people who do those three things will end up in the middle class. Not just not poor, in the middle class. Only 2% of people who do those three things end up permanently poor in the United States. So the idea that, there's, that it's the rich people keeping the poor people down and they're doing it for their own pleasure, their own sick pleasure. Bill Gates has, for sport, he shoots poor people from the balcony of his mansion. It's just, it, it's asinine in every conceivable way. Uh, and, and it's so funny. I, I did a debate on National Geographic that never aired. Uh, it never aired because it was brutal. Uh, and <laughs> it was me against three, which made it almost fair for them. And it was, it was like Van Jones, and uh, I think Van Jones is on the other side, uh, and some professor from NYU, and, uh, and they, they, it was exactly on this topic. And I said to them, are you proposing that we actually just kill the rich people and redistribute their money? And they said no. And I said to them, why are you, why are you talking about the rich people? What did they do? And they didn't have an answer because they don't know what the rich people did. They just know they want their cash. The, the idea that income inequality is correlated in any way with overall poverty is really silly. There are countries with really high income inequality and very low overall poverty. That's like the United States. There are countries with zero income inequality, Sudan, and nobody has anything. Right? So the idea that the differential is the, is the statistic that matters, it doesn't. The fact is in the United States, 9 out of 10 Americans are living above the global middle income standard. Right? Everybody in the United States is rich by global standards. And that, that you, know, you want to get rid of the income inequality by destroying that. Good luck to you. So there you go. Pearls of wisdom from one of my favorite uh, debaters, uh, Ben Shapiro. I was talking to my son about him tonight, and he says, I find his voice so irritating. And I said, yeah, but I find his, so lo his logic so infallible. I mean, he is one of the, the um, best at debating I think I've ever seen. Now, I can understand people might say that I <clears throat> find his voice a little grating, but he has a kill or be killed attitude, and I love that. I got a chance to meet him a few years ago when he was here in Ottawa for a, a fundraiser that a friend of mine was holding, and, and uh, we went to the fundraiser and got a chance to talk to Ben, and they were asking about his destruction of Piers Morgan, who used to host the CNN show after uh, Larry King retired. And poor old Piers didn't uh, fare very well. And Ben was talking about that, and he said, look, when you get into a liberal, into a fight, a uh, verbal battle, with a hardcore liberal who's out to get you, that you can't make them like you. You cannot convince them uh, that you're right. 
um, by being nice and using platitudes and all that nonsense. He said, you go in, you swing for the throat, and you take his, uh, take him out in the very first few seconds. And he very, very much, he said, you have to stop debating on the, from the point of view of being uh, logical and uh, using, uh, you know, facts and arguments. He says, you have to go to the moral place, like he was talking about climate change. He says, what makes this a moral issue? Why is it something that bothers you? Because, um, you know, um, or what, what, uh, what is it about socialism? You know, it's, it's, it's not that it doesn't work. It's that it's immoral. It's evil. It's wrong. It's wrong to take other people's money. And that's part of what he was talking about in that audio clip. So I have a tremendous respect for, for um, Mr. Shapiro. He is really a brilliant mind. And I'm going to get into some Jordan Peterson. We'll have a little conversation with him about him. Uh, when we come back right after this. ...distributor for the greater Ottawa area, providing technically advanced insulated concrete farms. The design virtually eliminates waste while providing the ultimate energy-efficient, quiet homes and structures. With over 40 years' experience in the concrete industry, EMM offers the best product to homeowners and contractors. Canadian-made Integraspec is now being used worldwide. More info can be found at Integraspec.com. Don't consider building any other way. Call your ICF specialist, 613-835-2600. Ron Barr, General Manager and CEO of the Greater Ottawa Truckers Association, the voice of independent truckers in the Ottawa area and proud supporters of Nick at Night. Every day we go to work to help build a better eastern Ontario, and safety is our top priority. Every start of the shift, our drivers perform inspections on their truck, so we ensure that our drivers go home to their families each night, and you, the public, have confidence that the big truck beside you is safe. If you have any issues relating to any size truck, I encourage you to contact me at 613-738-1639. Let's build a better, fatality-free Ottawa together. still plenty of things on the table so let's get to them okay this is i can't believe i'm reading this um (laughs) okay i i didn't bother run this through snopes and i probably should have so i'm not sure this is a real story or not i will oh speaking of real stories uh, there's a great video out there (laughs) and i posted on facebook okay now I knew it was a a fake story to begin with, but what it is, it's a story about, it's a video, a news report about this, uh, this community that's come together to save, is it, what the heck is the name of the seal? They've got a little harbor seal and they call it fluffy or something. I forget what the name is anyway. And they help it. It's dehydrated and it's just, oh, it's in a terrible state. So the whole town comes together and they nurse this thing back to health. And he's, you know, treated like a rock star. And everybody, they all have signs saying, I love Fluffy and all that kind of stuff down at the pier. The day they're going to release it back into the wild. So they put this thing in a sling and they lower it out over the water. 
and a great white shark leaps out of the water and snatches it right out of the sling, and that's the end of the seal. Now, I, I literally laughed out loud, so loud, my kids had to come into the room and see what I thought was that funny. Like I said, it's a fake story. Somebody obviously was having some fun, but it summarizes the kind of separation between uh, what life is like for so many people. <laughs> I mean, they have this completely disconnected idea of what life is like versus reality and the looks on their faces uh, when reality smacks them upside the head is priceless. It's just like, wait, that's not supposed to happen in my world. It's We're all supposed to eat rainbows and poop butterflies. <laughs> There's another one out there about a lady who has been going across um, Alaska. It's in September, She's and she's kayaking across. Now, this lady uh, had to be born without a brain. Uh, obviously, she didn't do any real research about what kind of risks were involved in this particular trip. So she's shooting this with her cell phone, okay? It's this uh, video, and it's of her yelling at a black bear who's messing around in her stuff. And she gets mad at it. She's got this high-pitched voice, and she goes, Bear! Bear! You need to leave! You need to leave! Don't tell, Don't wreck my stuff! I'm going to spray you. I have peppers. And just, of course, well, the bear gets curious and comes, <laughs> heads towards her. Well, now she starts to get a little frightened. So she takes the bear spray, squirts the bear. What does the bear do? Go down and start ripping the crap out of her kayak. I mean, it's just absolutely how these people can even tie their shoes. I have no idea. It is absolutely ridiculous how out of touch these people are. And, you know, you got to wonder. Like, I had a conversation one time with a young lady. Uh, I was still driving a five-ton uh, delivery truck for a bakery, and we were making breakfast or granola, and I would run it down into Toronto once a week, and I had a, a route, okay, and a whole bunch of health food stores. And for the most part, I got along with pretty much everybody on the route. Now, I don't come from the same... Um, neck of the woods as they do, and a lot of them have very different looks, added outlooks on life than I did, and that's fine. Uh, but there was one young lady uh, who was uh, doing something. I just I knew what she was doing, but I was just in the mood for a fight. So I stopped with my little fridge cart, and I set my stacks of boxes down, and I looked at her, and she's on her knees on the floor, and she's rolling up cardboard boxes into you know what looked like logs and then wrapping them with wire and putting them in a basket. And I said, what are you doing? And she said, I'm recycling the cardboard boxes. I said, okay, why? She said, because I want to save trees. We have to save trees. Trees are vital. We must save trees. If we just save the trees, we could solve all our problems. And <laughs> she couldn't have teed it up for me any better. She, I said, really? So you're a tree hugger? She said, oh, man, I just love trees. They're amazing. I said, well, I, I know that, because we talked before. I said, I know that uh, you might find this hard to believe, but I'm a tree hugger too. And she looked at me with great big wide eyes, because it's the last thing she expected me to say. She said, really? I said, oh, absolutely. 
But when I hug a, when I snuggle up to a tree, it's with a Husqvarna chainsaw. <laughs> she she stood up, she turned ninety degrees, and stomped off, and never spoke to me again. Talk about no sense of humor. Oh, I still, obviously, I still think it's one of the funniest things that's ever happened to me as a truck driver. It was absolutely hilarious to watch that that moment, that instant that it took for that information to filter into her head, that it didn't occur to her that I was just having some fun at her expense. I was using her passion in a way for something as absolutely silly as, like, look, I don't have anything against trees, but they're, they're, they're trees. They're glorified weeds. They're, they're plants, right? You cut one, another one grows. It's that kind of thing. I don't worry about it. So anyway, it was a lot of fun. Now, all of that to say that according to this, and like I said, uh, this comes from a website, uh, The Independent. And I saw it, and I, <laughs> okay. The headline reads this way. So maybe this falls into that kind of a story. Um, so I'll, I'll tell you about it, and you can decide whether it's fake news or whether it's uh, the real thing. Uh, it's worth a laugh, I think. NASA offers six-figure salary for new planetary protection officer to defend Earth from aliens. <laughs> Job requires frequent travel, but only U.S. citizens and the nationals need apply. All right, let me give you just... Oh, brother. NASA's hiring someone who can defend Earth from alien contamination. The full-time role of planetary protection officer will involve ensuring that humans in space do not contaminate planets and moons, as well as ensuring that alien matter does not infect Earth. The pay is a six-figure salary, as much as $187,000 a year, plus benefits. Can you imagine going to a house party? What do you do? I protect us from alien invasions. <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay. What do you really do? No, I'm serious. <laughs> oh, the job post reads, Planetary protection is concerned with the avoidance of organic constituent and biological contamination in human and robotic space exploration. Oh. <sighs> So I guess if the Borg shows up, we got somebody who's out there going to put the boots to them. Can't have you hanging around. NASA maintains policies for planetary protection applicable to all space flight missions that may intentionally or unintentionally carry Earth organisms and organic constituents to planets or others. You know what? In a way, that it, look, when it comes to uh, going to other planets... You might think this job, because when you, when you actually stop laughing at it and think about it, okay, do we really want to take bacteria from here to another, let's call it M-class planet? First of all, the answer would be no. So you'd want to disinfect and make sure that the stuff that you're taking with you doesn't carry anything untoward to the new planet. The problem is there are no Earth-type planets that we could go to where there already is life that we know of. Otherwise, we'd know about it. So whether or not you think this is a good idea, don't you think it might be just a little bit premature? Like colonizing the moon, we don't have to worry about that. The moon has no atmosphere, therefore nothing can live outside. You know, you put it out on the... Uh, 
Uh, it's not like you're going to plant a tree, okay, outside Moonbase Alpha, for those of you old enough to remember that show. Um, excuse me. So you've got, because any solar radiation would just simply fry the plant, never mind the fact that there's no oxygen. Uh, so there's Mars. Uh, yeah, I don't think life is really hospitable. You know, again, the same thing. You, it's Venus out of the question. Uh, let's see. There's really nothing within range of what we could conceivably populate within the next, oh, I don't know, 100 years. Unless they come up with warp drive, and even then they'd still have to find a planet. So we're a little ahead of the uh, ahead of things, and that's why I found this just absolutely ridiculous. I would love to. I'd apply in a heartbeat. Are you kidding me? The fun of this job? Whoa, baby, get out of the way. Where do I sign? I'd do this in a heartbeat. It would be a blast. Sure, make fun at parties. Yep, I repelled another alien invasion today, boy. You should have seen them three-eyed aliens. Man, we had them on a run in 10 minutes. So it would be a lot of fun. Anyway, so in one way it does kind of make sense, but I think they're a little premature. But I had to share that with you just because it was just so much fun to read. Now, Jordan Peterson. Jordan Peterson had his Google account shut down, and uh, his YouTube was suspended for a while, his YouTube channel. That only lasted a few hours because a whole bunch of people, a whole bunch, got really upset. He is becoming an international rock star because, first of all, he's brilliant. Secondly, he speaks in a language and a way, has a way of explaining things. He's the antithesis, ouch, he's the antithesis of um, Ben Shapiro. And I say that with no disrespect to either man. They just have completely different styles. So when Jordan explains something, he goes into it in great depth because he's a trained clinical psychologist. He has degrees from Harvard. He's a very, very highly educated man. And the best thing that ever happened to him and us by extension, although there was a heck of a fear, uh, firestorm about it when it happened, was when he stood up and refused to use those 32 different pronouns to describe somebody. When he said, no, you're either male or female, and that's all I'm going to go with. And we all stood, a lot of us stood up and cheered, and a lot of us threw, a lot of other people threw rocks at him. Uh, just a whole, and I don't mean that physically, but just, you know, they were trying to tear him down because he didn't want to play the, uh, he didn't want to get into the narrative. So it's, um, it's a delight to see that. Uh, and I'm very glad to see that uh, his, that his uh, success is now he's being quoted all over the world now, the United States, in Europe, um, all across Canada, of course. And now he wants to start his own online uh, university. And I was listening, watching a video clip on him earlier about that, and he was saying that he's not exactly sure. He wants to start with uh, the most 100 books, uh, the most influential 100 books in human history and study them. And he's not sure exactly how it'll take place. He doesn't want to rush it because he wants to make sure that it's, you know, is revolutionary in its form and function. Because obviously these kind of things are not being taught in universities across the Western world. So he's going to come at it with a completely new approach. And I stand and applaud him for doing it. It's about time uh, people were given an alternative to um, what have become hotbeds for Marxism hotbeds for progressivism, intolerance, 
um, hate speech. And I'm not talking about the people they're upset with. Those are the people who are on, on the staff in these different universities and many of the students that go there. They're the ones who are intolerant and, and use hate speech. You know, you want to talk. It's one of the most toxic places in the, in the country to go to uh, if you're not, if you don't fit into a very small, elite little group. Can you imagine me? If I, let's, let's say as an example, how long do you think I would last at a university anywhere in the country if I want to take it, let's say I want to um, add political political science to uh, to get a degree in political science. How long science? How long do you think I'd last? A week? Because I'd be up arguing with the professor all the time, and I'd get caught up with it because I wouldn't take it. I would not be able to sit there and listen to his crap talking about you know uh, all the kind of garbage that gets taught in political science classes and or in the study of the humanities. Okay, I would not be a very good, good or welcome student for very long. It's just a way, I, and I know a lot of people say, "Well, just tell them what they want to hear, get the diploma, then you can do what you want." I can't work that way. Okay, somebody starts a conversation that I find interesting. I'm going to engage. I just do that. Maybe it's a talk show host in me. I don't know, but I do know that there's no way I'm going to let that opportunity slip past. It just isn't going to happen. So well done to Jordan Peterson. I can't, I, I'm just really excited to see what he's going to come up with. It'll be an online university, which opens its doors to millions of people all around the world, not just in, in North America. It's not like you have a university of this city or university of that place or whatever. Um, but we all know what university, online universities are like. And I, I don't know anything. He doesn't even know, so how would I know? tuition and things like that how how would it all work but knowing mr peterson he'll come up with an answer and it may take a little while but when he does it it will be done right i have complete confidence in this man's ability to get the job done so i certainly hope you share that well you know what what your attitude is is your attitude but um it's just i i, I we need people like this and one of the other things I was when I was talking to my family tonight about this, we oftentimes, uh, for those of us on the right, lament the fact that we are being drowned out by the progressives. That a lot of people uh, don't pay attention to us anymore. They just, you know, uh, they get this idea that um, the right wing doesn't matter. We don't need to listen to them. But there are champions who have great intellect, uh, large platforms and have the ability to uh, debate and discuss at the highest intellectual levels. There's guys like Mark Stein, Jordan Peterson, Ben Shapiro, um, Bill Whittle, uh, uh, Rush Limbaugh. You've got a whole bunch of different people out there who are making the conservative case and doing it brilliantly. And I think it's about time we began to recognize that the progressives are not having it all their way. And that the longer we continue to keep battering away at them, the more people are going to join us. The more people are going to get sick and tired of failed policies that lead to miserable lives and, and, and just acidic policies. There's too many people out there who are just going, this just doesn't work. And they're looking for something that does. And we have that to offer them. Oh, boy. Okay, so that's that. Now, uh, just quickly before the show ends here, I didn't realize, well, we lost 15 minutes off the top, so that it might explain some of it. All right. Now, Montreal's Olympic Stadium. Okay, 
call it the Big O, right? They're going to use it as a home for these people coming across the border in Quebec. All right, Montreal's Olympic Stadium will be housing asylum seekers after a spike in the number of people crossing at the United States border in recent months. The stadium is being transformed into a refugee housing center to deal with the influx. According to recent federal government data, including preliminary figures for June, there was a pronounced shift in the number of people crossing the Quebec-U.S. border. Do you realize something? You cannot be a refugee from the United States. You can't. The United States has a legal system. The United States has a criminal law system. They have uh, their own rules about regulations. and uh, You can only be, first of all, there's no war going on down there. I mean, you go to Chicago, you might come up with a different ad- you might come up with a different answer, but there's no war going on in the United States. There's no, um, you know, it's not like your life is in peril um, and your home has been destroyed and you're fleeing tanks running, rolling down your street. It's not a war zone, no matter what the mainstream media tries to tell you. Okay, it's not. So you do not qualify as a refugee to begin with. So these people should be turned around and marched right back over the border or never allowed to cross in the first place if we catch them. And yet we're using the O, the big O, as a place to house these refugees. Anyway, Francine Dupois, Francine Dupi, sorry, who oversees a government-funded program to help seekers get on their feet, tells Radio Canada the numbers were unprecedented. That's because we will not stand up and say no. We will not keep the door closed until we know who is coming in through that door and why they want to come in. In other words, they're not refugees. They're illegal immigrants, and they should be put back in the queue so they come through and uh, like immigrants normally do. Now, if you want to speed up the immigrant progress process, that's fine. People wait a long time to get into this country doing it legally. And I know this is an old saw. A lot of people have heard this over the years about, you know, it's an insult to people in the immigration process. Uh, who came here legally and are working hard and being, uh, you know, uh, contributing to the country as a whole. But it's true. These people shouldn't be in the O. They shouldn't be in the the province. They shouldn't be in the country. All right. The first people expected to arrive at the stadium today. That was from, I think it's today. Yeah, today. So they're starting to take the big O and do that to it. So, you know... This is more. This is again progressive. Is progressive. Oh, it was snuffy. That was the name of the seal. Snuffy. I knew it was something like that. Um, it's you got to watch it. Go look. Snuff. Go look up on YouTube. Snuffy the seal. It's just priceless. So it'll make. If it doesn't make you laugh, you don't have a pulse. Unless, of course, you're one of those who. Oh, you can't believe he had that attitude about animals. All right. So we did that one. We did that one. Oh, we didn't get a chance, and I don't have time. All right, maybe I'll do this next week. The Passenger Bill of Rights. <sighs> I've got my own thoughts on that, and I just don't have time to get into it. Folks, that wraps it up for me tonight. I am sorry about the beginning of the show. We had those technical challenges. We will be back full blast next week. I'm sure we'll get this all sorted out. I have some very bright technical minds working with me, and I look forward to getting that uh, taken care of. So with that, I will bid you all good evening. Ubi keritas et amor, Deus ibi est. Good evening, God bless. Don't let anything disturb your peace, and may you have a fair wind and a following sea.
that I had. I spent it in good company, and all the harm I've ever done, alas, it was to none but me. And all I've done for want of wit to memory now I can't recall. So fill to me the parting glass. Good night and joy be to So fill to me the parting glass and drink a health whatever befalls. Then gently rise and softly call. Good night and joy be to you all. Of all the comrades that it I have. They're sorry for my going away And all the sweethearts that e'er I had They'd wish me one more day to stay But since it fell into my lot That I should rise and you should not I'll gently rise and softly call Yeah.